Welcome to Mind Over Matter with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. I share stories of insight, personal experience, ways in which I and others have overcome obstacles, and the importance of perseverance. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am thrilled to have you here on my podcast, tuning in weekly as I share two episodes with you. My goal through this podcast is to inspire and empower as well as motivate you to move forward in life. I also provide one-on-one coaching, so if that's something you're interested in, listen all the way to the end for ways to connect with me. Welcome to episode number 149. To be honest, I don't even know where to begin with this episode and this guest. There are so many tidbits and so many golden nuggets so many takeaways from this episode. But something that really stuck out for me is it's all about perspective and finding that silver lining. And not to spoil, but this guest was given a 15% chance after a cancer diagnosis. And guess what? He's still with us years later. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. I brought on Dylan Slatery. Dylan, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Heather, and huge props to you for crushing that marathon this weekend. <laughs> so proud of you and uh, just really grateful to be here with you today and talk about, you know, all of the things that uh, are just so inspiring to people. I feel like, you know, people just need encouragement in whatever they're doing, whatever season of life they may find themselves in. So thanks for having me. I'm stoked to have you on. And that's a big reason I've brought you. So give the listeners a background. Where do you live? What do you do? So I actually, I just eclipse the one year mark here in, in Denver. So we're, I don't know if you can call us neighbors now, but, uh, yeah, I live out in Colorado. I moved out here from Iowa last May and, uh, I've been doing a lot of speaking. I actually have my own podcast, um, where the whole mission and kind of story is that adversity is a universal experience that can unite all of us if we allow it to. Um, so over the course of 18 months, starting when I just turned 22, uh, I kind of had this 18 month span where it was just a gauntlet of adversity. So I went through a breakup after four years, uh, right after my 22nd birthday, I was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. Six months after that, I was involved in a car accident where, uh, I lost a high school classmate in front of mine. We were in a single vehicle rollover. And she was partially ejected and killed. I tried to do CPR on her and, and couldn't save her. And so at that point, I was really, really in this dark place where I felt like the world was trying to crush me and it was really out to get me. And that's how I saw the world was I was a victim to my circumstances. And so I turned to things like alcohol, drugs, and even something as simple as food that would make me feel good in the moment to escape the reality that I found myself in. And so things came to a head on March 28th of 2014. I was, um, I was drunk and high with some friends and made some comments about being hopeless and lacking purpose and direction. And so they reached out to the one person that they knew could get through to me. And that was my mom because, uh, it was, they didn't know this, but it was the 23rd anniversary of my father taking his own life a month before I was born. And so I woke up the following morning with my mom at my bedside, shaking me awake, asking me, first of all, if I was okay. And then asking me why I wasn't in class. And so at that, at that moment, I had to explain to her that due to the depression, anxiety, and everything that was weighing on my shoulders, I hadn't been to class in months. And I just felt like a complete and utter failure. Luckily, I had done well enough in school to 
to that point where I could leave and, and graduate with a degree. It wasn't the double major that I was pursuing, but um, I went home and I coached baseball for the summer. It was frankly what kept me going at that point in my life. Baseball is, is a huge part of my life. You can see the bats and the pictures in the background, but uh, I'm from Dyersville where the field of dreams is. And so baseball has been a part of my life um, since I was very, very young. But uh, after that season, I was down in Iowa city for an Iowa football game. And I woke up, um, and this is just 18 months after the initial diagnosis and surgery. Uh, I was, I woke up after partying the night before to go tailgate for the football game. And I had this golf ball size lump that developed literally overnight. And I knew the cancer was back. And so the following week up at Mayo clinic was one of the worst weeks of my life. It was, uh, they told me I had tumors in my liver, lung, neck, and three tumors in my spine. And uh, the doctors at Mayo told me that since the tumors were that far spread out, I was inoperable and the chances of survival were not great at all. Um, but we went and got a second opinion at the University of Iowa, and they gave me some good news, if you want to call it that. They gave me 15% chance of survival and offered me this experimental treatment that, uh, that they had been taking a look at. So we went to, we went and took that route and that's when things started to change for me. Well, and what you shared with me, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Talk about leveraging adversity, but you went through kind of the gauntlet of shit after shit. But what you shared with me is the second diagnosis was it was your wake up call. So what happened? Yeah. So I always tell people, you know, cancer literally gave me something to fight for when I, when I felt like life wasn't worth fighting for. And that's truly what it was. And, you know, through all of that adversity, I, I, I saw a counselor, which I would encourage anybody who's um, struggling in their season of life to go see someone to talk through things. Um, because a lot of the times the lies that we tell ourselves are just complete and utter BS. Um, but we believe them because they make sense in our mind. But when we verbalize them, we can kind of call ourselves out on it. And that's what she helped me do. But one of the things that she told me was, uh, she handed me this piece of paper when I walked in her office one day and it said, the worst thing in life, the worst thing that can happen to you can be the best thing for you if you don't let it get the best of you. And so that's wait, the mindset. Wait. Will you repeat that, please? That was, yeah. that was huge. Yeah. It said the worst thing for you can be the best thing. The worst thing that can happen to you can be the best thing for you if you don't let it get the best of you. And so that that's when things started to change in my mind. It doesn't always uh, manifest into our actions and reality right away. Um, take some time for things to set in. Um, I always talk about like the levels of, of knowing versus doing versus being, and that takes time. You know, we can know something to be true. Uh, we can do it once or twice. Um, but it's not until we make it a part of who we are that we can really internalize that and, and uh, make it truly, truly a part of, of who we are as people. So that's when things started to change. I went through this uh, three-day span in the ICU. That was part of my treatments. That was really, really the wake-up call. Um, so I woke up one night with six to eight doctors surrounding my bed. One was holding the paddles, waiting for my line to flatten out just a little bit more so they could use them on me. But uh, I, it didn't come to that. I bounced off that line and 
that was a, that was a scary moment for me. I literally watched my life flash before my eyes. It's not something you ever want to wake up to is, is eight doctors waiting for you to flatline so they can jump you back to life. But, uh, shortly after that, I was in the ICU and we were set up in pods and a lady across the hall from me passed away. And so I got to experience what that was like, uh, from her perspective, you know, I was laying in the same hospital bed. She was connected in 17 different places, you know, up to that monitor, just like she was. And, uh, I got to share those last moments with her and her family and they would, they would laugh and they would cry and they would share all the memories. And I got to thinking, you know, what would my family, what would my friends and most importantly, what would my three brothers share about me if I were to pass on? And it was really then where I desired this second chance because based on the previous three years up to, leading up to that point, I did not want to be remembered as the reckless, uh, you know, fool that I was at some points. But again, I had this excuse of like, I had cancer. What are you going to tell me how to live my life? Like tomorrow's not guaranteed. So I'm going to do whatever I want. But I think there's a fine line there between living out um, as if there's no tomorrow guaranteed, which is true for all of us and being reckless to the point where you're putting other people's lives in danger because of it. Well, something you brought up just a few minutes ago, this whole knowing, doing, and being. And so maybe can we touch more on that? Cause I feel like so many people know what they quote should be doing, right? So if you're overweight, you know, you should eat healthier or, you know, you need exercise or people that, are in a toxic relationship, they know they should get out, but they don't. So how do you go from knowing to doing and then being? I think where we get it wrong is that when we're deciding to make a change is we attach the emotion to the, to the finished product, to the result. And when we do that, it, our world becomes very binary. We're either a success or a failure. There's no in between. But if we can learn to attach our emotion to the process of becoming, that's where we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, I'm not where I want to be yet, but what I see in the mirror is progress. Because I believe we're all works in progress. You know, even you and I don't have it all figured out, even though we're having a great conversation, uh, we don't have it all figured out. And so by being vulnerable and willing to share in that where I'm at today is definitely not where I want to be, but I'm better than what I, what I have been in the past. Uh, it can make all the difference. I a hundred percent agree. And of course, you know, we don't have it figured out because I think if we had it figured out, we wouldn't be here. There'd be no purpose. So back to the hospital bed and, and this whole second chance, you were given a 15% chance of living and now you're still here years later. So what changed? Yeah. So the last, uh, the last event that happened in the ICU. So, um, I woke up that one night with the doctors surrounding me, the lady passed away in the room next door. And then my brothers came in and visited me just a few days later. And it was like the ultimate slap in the face. Like, dude, you need to wake up. You're only going to get one more shot at this <laughs> thing called life. So go out and live it. And so in January, 2017, when I did my last treatment, uh, I was still unhealthy in a lot of other ways. Um, I still was, was drinking more than I should. And, uh, I was 260 pounds and it was just this, I was very, 
unhealthy. But I had this dream of speaking on stage and, and inspiring other people. But I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, there is no way, I have no credibility if I stand on stage and tell people how to live their life because I look more like Chris Farley than I do a, motiva- a real motivational speaker, you know? And so that's, I told myself my excuses off the table, whether it was the treatments that were making me fatigued or not. I don't have an excuse anymore. And so I just went to work. I went to the gym and uh, then it was honing in my diet. And then it was like, every time I hit a plateau, I asked myself, what more can I do? And so over time, I was able to lose 60 pounds in 18 months and really turn my life around because part of that process, again, it's like the process is how we become who we want to be. I was able to quit drinking which eliminated that 3 a.m. pizza that I would become so fond of. And uh, then I eliminated the hangover too, which was my excuse to not work out on Sundays or, you know, and you're still feeling like crap come Monday and Tuesday. So it, it, uh, it killed a lot of birds with one stone by kicking the drinking habit. That was huge for me. Yeah. Um, do you believe it's because you had such a strong why or what was that shift in your mindset for no more excuses? I think the shift for me came because I realized that my story isn't, isn't about me. The story is the vehicle to deliver the message, but it's all about helping other people um, break through that vicious circle that they may find themselves in, you know, that feeling of stuck, lack of purpose, all of those things that I felt. And really where I find my motivation now is, is from my dad. You know, he took his own life. So I was literally on the brink of making that same decision. And so I know what it feels like to lack purpose, direction, all of those things. And I also know that there's a ton of other people out there who are, who feel those same things. And it's like, that's who this story is for. That's what this is about is not only helping those people get out of their, get out of the slump, but also helping people get over the hump and taking themselves to that next level. So in, in making this story, not about me, all of a sudden I had a mission and a purpose that I needed to fulfill. Yeah. So you call it a mission and purpose. I think I call it a why, but the whole thing is you stepped out of your pity victim mode and you stepped into wanting to serve and help others that were in where you used to be. So they wouldn't be there anymore. Yeah. 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 And through it all, like I was like, I was a coach. And so it's like, I got to thinking, you know, how can I make this all come full circle? So it's not about necessarily about the cancer. It's not necessarily solely about the mental health, but, and then I came up with, you know, in a world that's filled with cancer, how can we choose to be a cure? And you can take that as big or or as small as you want in the smallest of moments. Are you going to let that moment define you? Or are you going to say, you know, I'm bigger than this. I'm going to choose to be a cure, whether it's people gossiping at the office are you going to continue to be that cancer and let that cancer spread throughout the office? Or are you going to be the cure and change the subject and, uh, you know, spin it in a positive way so that people start to see that they're, they don't have to fall into that trap of, of, of the gossip and the negative self-talk because what you surround yourself completely impacts the thoughts that you, you have when you're by yourself. Yeah. 
I have a question for you that it just came to mind since you experienced it because you're using cancer as it's kind of a broad term, but that negativity, that, that disease, that illness, that yuck, and to be the light or whatever. So, you know, people that have the slogan, fuck cancer, right? So how do you feel about that slogan? It's uh, it's definitely part of the process. I was to say that I was never angry uh, would be a lie. I I ran away pretty much from everything that I was and who I thought myself to be because I was angry at the world. I was angry at cancer. I asked the question, "Why me?" In a sense of like very selfishly, "Why me?" But we can also ask that same question in search of our purpose. You know why? Why has this been given to me? Mm. And or why is this happening for me? Not to yeah, me. yeah. Ah. And I know there. That's something that people struggle with, whether it's cancer or you know, a chronic illness or whatever the circumstance they find themselves in—the loss of a loved one. Like why? I've experienced that too. Like why would you take them from me? But that's such a selfish like way to look at it the world doesn't revolve around me. So they're not being taken from me. They're taken from a whole lot of other people too. They're taken from the world. But I, in in terms of how I've learned to deal with loss is I've become grateful that those people have been a part of my life. So how can I live in honor of them? Same with my dad, same thing with my dad, you know, how can I live to honor him Mm. each and every day? That's so huge. So it also sounds like you, you found gratitude in all of it. Yeah, it's the being able to reframe adversity is everything. We can either define it or we can let it define us. Yeah. And that's what being a cure is all about is, is choosing to define whatever circumstances we're given, the positive and the negative. What advice would you give to somebody right now, maybe going through what you experienced in that hospital bed or just somebody who's really felt like they're in rock bottom? What do you want to tell them? One of the things that I know people struggle with uh, when they're depressed or in the hospital is that their circle gets smaller. And we see that as a bad thing. You know, in today's society, we're defined in a lot of ways by the number of followers that we have or the number of subscribers that we have. But at the end of the day, it's like, are those people truly your friends? Chances are, when push came to shove, all 10,000 of your Instagram followers are not going to come to your bedside in support of you in this battle. But choosing to focus on the four or five people that are there for you through thick and thin, when you're at your worst and you treat them poorly because of how you're feeling and they still show up the next day, knowing that you were just having a bad day and it says nothing about who they are as a person. Um, But they're so focused on getting you through that season of your life, those are the people that you want around, not the people that are flaky here today on your good day and not there tomorrow on your bad day. That's what I had to learn was that having everybody is not everything. Having your core, having those people who are going to be there for you. And, and, and that was one of the gifts too, is like, now I know who I can count on, right? Because at the end of the day, I know who was there and I know who wasn't. And there were some surprises on who was there. And there were also some surprises from people who I expected to be there and weren't. But 
again, it doesn't really say anything about them. It just, it's like, you know, it is what it is. And I'm grateful for the people that were there for me. So be grateful. Yeah. We're, I think what that comes down to, it's quality over quantity. And that's something I have a ton of acquaintances. I know a lot of people, especially, you know, Denver's a very small world. I feel like it's half degree separation, but my actual friends, I'd say like maybe a handful. Yeah. And sometimes that does feel lonely and isolating, but I'd rather have those few close people I can reach out to when needed rather than a hundred quote friends. Yeah. And I mean, to truly have a friend, it takes a lot of time and investment in terms of like getting to know that person on a deeper level. So it's hard to have a lot of really good friends. So just embrace that and, you know, be grateful for the ones that you have. Agreed. I have a couple of questions for you. I'd like to ask before I wrap up this interview. And the first one is what is a quote or motto that you live by? Yeah. Um, I love the quote by CS Lewis that says adversity often prepares ordinary people for extraordinary destinies. Yes. You're, I could tell you're a quote guy. That's all. That's awesome. Yeah. C.S. Lewis is, uh, he's, um, he's an incredible author. Uh, faith has become a big part of my life. I ran, I definitely ran away from that part of my life, um, during the struggle. But, um, I often relate my journey to the footprints in the sand. I don't know if you if you're familiar with that poem, but basically it's like you're walking on the beach with Jesus and, uh, you turn around and you look back at your journey and you only see one set of footprints and it's like, well, how can that be? And that's how I view my journey too, is like during those hard moments. And this is what I believe about adversity too, is everybody's going to have something in their life that brings them to their knees, where even if you have really good friends, it's going to be bigger than you. It's going to be bigger than them. And it's truly going to take you to your knees and shake you to your core. And it's like, who do you rely on then when there is nobody, when it's bigger than everybody, who do you go to then? And that's what I believe faith is, is um, allowing him to carry you through those moments. Yeah. That's funny you bring that up. And I love that it it gave me chills, but I remember doing one of my long runs training for the marathon. I think it might've been the 20 miler. And um, I, I've never really resonated with a specific religion. I believe in a higher power. And so I don't, I don't go to church. I just, it doesn't feel right for me. But it was so weird to me. So I'm on this long run and I just remember this thought came into me and I literally, and this is so outside of me, I kind of like just put a message up and I was like, God, will you hold my hand and carry me through? It was, it was so unreal, but it felt so natural. And then I felt so at ease and peace that I wasn't alone, that I would be carried through. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I think that's huge is like you are chosen. You are enough. You don't have to be anything more than who you are. Yes. Okay. Second question for you. What is a book you're currently reading or highly recommend? Hmm. Um, I'm probably going to go with one of the guys that I recently interviewed and we talked a little bit about this is uh, John Gordon. And one of the books he wrote was he's written a bunch of them, like 15. So I definitely aspire to be like him someday. 
Uh, I'm working on my first one now, but the book that I like that he wrote, he writes fables. And so he wrote the energy bus, which is all about controlling the energy that you let on your bus. So in the story, this businessman, a lot of things kind of, uh, I don't know if going wrong in his life, but a little bit of adversity with his wife, with his job, and then his car breaks down. So he has to take public transportation to work. And so joy is the name of the bus driver. And so every day joy tries to help him reframe the adversity in his life and brings this, as you said earlier, this light to his darkness. And so it's all about controlling the energy that you let on your bus and, um, trying to, um, keep those energy vampires as he calls them at a distance. Cause you can't have too many of them in your life before they start to take over. Um, but also helping them, helping be the light to them to, uh, to reframe the adversity and, and, uh, eliminate the darkness that they have. I love what you, he, he said, I guess, energy vampires, because, you know, I think we all have what I call toxic people in our life, but energy. Yeah. Cause I definitely, sometimes after spending time with people, I feel literally drained. So energy vampire. I love that. Yeah. They suck the life out of you. <laughs> okay. Final question. What advice would you give your younger self? This is a great question. And, you know, it's right around graduation time. And I was recently thinking, like, what would I share with the high school graduate? And even when I talk to high school kids, it's like, you, I think we need to choose to look at those spaces, whether it's high school or college. Is this this truly this safe space where you're allowed to try different things and fail because um, life should be about discovery. I think your purpose is something that you discover. It's not something that you decide. And the only way we can discover our purpose is if we try and open ourselves up to a lot of different things that we may not be comfortable doing. So like, I speak, I never took a public speaking class in high school. I never took a, you know, I wasn't part of the drama team or anything like that. I played sports because that's who I was, quote unquote, right? Um, But like, how do we create this environment where we're not defined by our failures, where you don't have to have the 4.0 GPA to be somebody um, and just allow people to try new things in the hope that they find their passion and their purpose in life. Because if we don't allow them to try new things, we're only going to allow them to become who their parents meant them to be. Because if they only try the things that their parents sign them up for and that's all they ever stick with, they don't know anything else. But there's so much more out there and there's so many different things. And and with technology, what it is today, you you can make a living doing almost anything as long as you bring passion and energy to to it. People are going to follow you. And to serve others. Yeah. And I think what you really touched on there was the whole, which I love, is getting outside of your comfort zone and not following conformity. You don't have to live in this box that was designed by somebody else. Yeah. And I think we live in this binary world where where we're taught that discomfort and failure is bad, but it doesn't have to be one or the other. In fact, you know, it goes back to that same thing. How can we look at something which cancer is very bad in, in so many ways, but it also brings out the best in some people, 
you know, it brings entire communities together and rally around a single cause. And so I, I think we can apply that in a lot of different areas and there would be a ton of growth if we could do it. Yes. Dylan, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and um, your knowledge on all of this. Yeah, Heather, it's been a pleasure. And I just want to give you one more shot, you know, kudos to you on, you know, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. That was something that I had to overcome was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need to, I need to walk it. And you've been putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, whether it's running the marathon, you know, hosting a podcast, that's a huge, huge step in the right direction. And, um, so just thank you for all the impact that you're making. Yeah. High five. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. To connect with me further, you can find me on Facebook, Heather Hakes. I am also on Instagram as heather.hakes. And I even have a YouTube channel. Guess what? Heather Hakes. I'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>